Let's go to John chapter 4. It is good to be here again, and I'm, I'm sorry that we're always in and out so quickly. Uh, that's just the way it goes, but we're thankful to be able to stop in again. We wanted to make sure that we, as we pass through, we want to try the best we can to just keep connecting the best that we're able. Uh, thank you for the house next door. Uh, we're not going to leave. I hope that's okay. <laughs> Now, it's very comfortable. You guys have done a marvelous job. We get to see a lot of missions houses as we travel around, and this is very nice, very well done. So whoever had part in that, uh, both the vision of it and then the, the actual doing of it, you did fantastic, and, and my hat's off to you, and I pre- we appreciate that very much. Uh, we've been in some situations that you don't appreciate as much. Uh, you're glad to have a bed, and sometimes you're wondering if you want to be in the bed. And I mean that, but um, this is not like that. So thank you very much for that. We're in John chapter number four tonight, and um, sometimes I feel as a missionary on furlough like an evangelist. You know, I'm just picking which message, and uh, I have more than seven. And, um, you know, there are times when you're, and I mean this, uh, all the humor aside now, there, there are times when, um, you know, the next, next meeting is coming and you're saying, Lord, I want to make sure I do what's right. I want to get, you know, I want to get the right message to the church. I don't want to just preach a message. And I don't want it to be just a polished message because I've preached it before. I want the right message for the church. And um, so for a number of days, the Lord seems to have just pointed me to this direction. And, and I say that for this reason. I want you to know this is not just a canned message uh, that I've polished up, uh, but rather that I really do believe that this is what the Lord has for us tonight. And um, we're in John 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. And uh, actually, let's read to verse 9. And then we'll stop and we'll work through this passage. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Father, one more time I ask you to help me and fill me with your spirit and fill these people with your spirit. And we know that's the only way that you can communicate things clearly. I pray that you would cast out any wicked spirit that would try to interfere with what's said, both coming out of my mouth and into the ears of those that are hearing tonight. And may we know very well that you met with us, and may we know that by you making us to be more like Jesus. And Father, I pray one more time tonight for your help, your guidance, your strength, and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Um, this is very early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it didn't take very long for the Pharisees to get up in arms, religious people in general to get up in arms, and to try to oppose him on many fronts. And, of course, here's another instance where uh, the Pharisees knew that he had made and baptized more disciples than John had, and this is stirring them up. They're angry about this, and, and so they're looking to oppose. And, you know, Jesus sometimes would stand toe-to-toe with them and, and go to debate, if you like to call it debate, or to confronting them. And other times, he'd just go on his way. And this is one of the instances where he just went on his way. Uh, Mark chapter 1 is a good illustration of how the Lord sometimes he just discerned where he needed to be and when. And there were some people saying, "Would you know, we want Jesus to come back and teach again. And he said to his disciples, he said, let us go into the next towns also. And so Jesus knew when to move and he knew when to, he knew when to stand. So off he goes and uh, says in verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, you're a Wednesday night crowd, you probably know your Bibles well. But just so that we all understand together, the normal practice of a Jew, uh, a Judean Jew, would be to go to Nazareth or Galilee, would be to go outside of the boundaries of the region of Samaria, and cross the Jordan, and, and they'd go around that side, and then they would enter back over into Galilee and Nazareth in that area. And uh, Jesus knew this. He knew this to be the practice. He'd grown up that way. He'd known, and perhaps even his parents had traveled that way before. But on this occasion, uh, the Bible tells us in verse number four, this phrase that if we're not careful, we'll skip right past it. And honestly, I think this phrase has given me some of my greatest thoughts. In verse four, he must needs go through Samaria. And I want to to address that tonight because there's some some matters of personal uh, uh, evangelism that transpire in this passage of Scripture. We could say that it's the work of missions, but the reality is, is missions on a foreign field is no different than it is the work of the ministry right here in Rapid City. It's all the same. Uh, We should all be doing the exact same thing wherever we're at. I've told many churches that if there's an expectation put on a missionary that's not being carried out by the church, that's hypocrisy. And so I believe that. I truly believe that. I think that even our church in Queenbeam, as it, it, it grows and matures and transforms, I never want it to change from what got it to that place. And part of that was personal evangelism. And that's, of course, a phrase that we use about being a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see some principles here because the Bible tells us again in verse 4 that Jesus must needs go. There's an obligation there or a compelling. And that's what the phrase means. It's used a number of times throughout the scripture, must needs. And each time it shows you that there was an obligation or a a compelling or a requirement uh, placed upon an individual or a group or whatever the context is. And in, in this case... It's on the Lord Jesus. He's compelled to go through Samaria. Now, we've already, I know you've read your Bibles. I know you know the story. And many times it's been said, well, he he was compelled to go. He must needs go because of the woman at the well. That's why. That's part of the reason why. Because 
you know, you know how the story ends. It's not just the woman that is reached, but ultimately it's, it's a big part of, the, of this town of Sychar that's reached. And it's the disciples who are taught. And that's what interests me most tonight, is the teaching that's given by the Lord to the disciples, even the teaching that they had to learn later that they weren't present for because they went into town to buy food. But now we have the recording of the scriptures, and if you'll just, uh, again, let me help to uh, conform or form your thinking, is that somehow the Holy Spirit taught John what took place in his absence so that he could write it down and record it for us, and in recording it, he learned some things, and he's instructing us. Now, the, the first application of a passage of Scripture particularly in the book of John, is that you would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing that, that you'd have life through His name. Every story recorded in the Gospel of John is to that purpose, according to John chapter number 20. And so that is the very first thing, that if you were here tonight, and you'd never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I didn't say that you weren't raised in church, none of that. We've got to put all that out of our heads and just take it as it is. If you never, you cannot describe the event that you know, you put your faith in Christ, repentance and faith, and trusted Him to save your soul, the very first thing that you need to learn from this passage is that Jesus Christ can save your soul and it does not matter your condition, how good or bad it may appear on the, in, on the outside. It's the inside that God's concerned with. And so I wouldn't want to glaze over the passage and just uh, neglect that because I know that many times there's people who sit in churches for all of their life and they die and go to hell because of pride or embarrassment, if you like. Afraid to just say, you know what, I, I don't have an event in my life that I can describe. I didn't say the date. I don't care what the date was, as it were. I'm glad you have a date. That's wonderful. I don't have a date. I have no idea what the date was. But I know what happened to me. Amen. And you'll notice that if you ever want to get a, a good feel for what it's like to have the I don't want to say experience, but the knowledge of knowing that you've been converted to Christ. We look at Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26 and these people that said, Paul, what in the world happened to you? He said, let me tell you when I met Jesus. That's what you need. And maybe tonight someone's sitting here and you're just battling through life, trying so hard to keep up the facade of Christianity and you're never going to be able to do it. And even if you could fool everybody in the room, the Lord knows. And the Bible tells us the heart knows as well. So don't fail tonight to understand your need for Christ. But beyond that, I want to talk to us who are saved about our responsibility to reach people with the gospel, no matter where we are. And Jesus teaches us here, many places really, but he teaches us here how to get through a circumstance that wasn't that great. He must needs go through Samaria. You know, I'm going to look at several areas tonight 
but as, as I look at this, I just look at how brilliant the Lord Jesus Christ was. To take these Jewish disciples that he had that were good Jews. They're good Jews. I mean, clear into the book of Acts, Peter's arguing with the Lord saying, Not so, Lord. Nothing unclean has ever entered into me. Right? Still arguing with the Lord. He's a good practicing Jew. And he took these religious Jews who maybe in some circumstances were just trying to honor the Lord, but in some they were just puffed up with pride. And he almost literally grabs them by the hand and says, Men, we are not going around. We're going through Samaria this time. I have something I want to teach you. And so as we're compelled tonight, the Bible says that we should be compelled to go to the lost. The love of Christ constraineth us, 2 Corinthians 5 says. It constrains me. It binds me up and it guides my steps and it makes me go where He wants me to go and do what He wants me to do. It's the love of Christ that does that in me. It's not my love that I manufacture. It must be the love of Christ. We're compelled. Compelled to go. But we run into problems. And some of the problems that we see in this passage are some prejudices. There are prejudices that had to be overcome. So being compelled to go, whether it's across the street or whether it's just through the whole of the city or all of the Black Hills or the state of South Dakota, the United States or overseas, wherever it is, we're compelled to go, but we are going to come into the obstacle of some prejudices that all of us have. Are we okay with that? We have some prejudices. And the first prejudice that had to be overcome by the disciples as the Lord leads them through is the prejudice of geography. It's a place. You know, maybe, and of course we're speculating, but uh, speculating on good grounds because we know how the Jews behaved. Maybe if we could get into the minds and the hearts of the disciples tonight, and the Lord said, hey guys, what do you think of this? Let's go through Samaria. We vote no. Lord, send us anywhere but that place. Don't send us to that place. And I wonder tonight as we think about this, because those disciples had to trek alongside of the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder if there's tonight a place that in your heart, if God said you go, that you would say anywhere but there, Lord. We always say, you know, the deepest, darkest Africa. I don't actually think that that's probably uh, the worst place. I don't. In fact, some of the deepest, darkest places in Africa are some of the most exciting places to be because those people are so excited to hear about Jesus Christ that the few inconveniences that you face along the way are overcome greatly by the fact that they just they, they want to hear the gospel and be saved. But, I mean, as I stand here tonight, there's a place that I'd prefer the Lord didn't send me if my vote counted for anything. And I wonder tonight, what about you? Is there a place? Maybe the place is just across the road where your neighbors know you. Or you might be afraid of what they would say to you, about you, what they would think of you. Maybe going across the road for you is the place that you say, Lord, I'll go across the city, but I don't want to go across the street. 
And I know that that's difficult sometimes. Maybe not for everybody, but for some it's very difficult just to go to your neighbors because they do hear you and watch you and see you and you've got to be with them day after day, you know, as you come in and out of your home and, and you want to have the right relationship with your neighbors. And so you might say, Lord, I would go there, but I don't want to go there. But maybe it's some geography. Maybe it's outside of the city of Rapid City. And maybe tonight the Lord would touch somebody's heart and say, I want you in the mission field, and I want you to be in this place. And you're going to have to overcome the prejudice of some geography for whatever reason. This wasn't the place that the Jews wanted to be, and they had to overcome that as the Lord, by the hand, led them through that place. But also they had to overcome, and the Lord now overcomes the type of person that he deals with. Because verse number 7 says that there cometh a woman of Samaria. Now culturally, it wouldn't be acceptable to sit and talk. It's just the Lord and it's the woman and they're at the well. And that wouldn't be acceptable and you wouldn't talk. It's just not what you do. But you know the Lord overcame all of those prejudices that people would have to that end. And he's, there's a woman that needs to hear about me. And I need to speak to her. And if I don't speak to her, she's going to leave this place and never know how close she was to the Messiah. And so he overcame not only the place uh, that would be, uh, you know, it's just the undesirable place. I remember if I can tell a story, and I'm not making myself the hero in this story, just that I had a part in this. Uh, we had in, in Australia, in, in Sydney, a man who came from South Africa, or South Africa, South Korea as a missionary. So he's South Korean. He comes to Sydney as a missionary, and he starts an a, a outreach to many nationalities, but he did wonderfully with some of the African people living there. And uh, I preached a meeting about 12 or 13, 14 years ago, and I preached on this passage, I must needs go through Samaria. A different message, and uh, he later told me, he said, when you talked about going through the undesirable place, God made it clear he wanted me to go to Myanmar, and he said, I had been wrestling with God about going to Myanmar, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go, but God said, go to the undesirable place, would you go to the undesirable place, and then secondly, would you go to some undesirable people, because this is an undesirable woman. And that the prejudice about the, the cultural abnormality here, the, the, the things that just wouldn't be acceptable in the eyes of men, uh, you know, whether it was racial or, or otherwise, the Jews just didn't talk to the Samaritans and the Samaritans didn't talk to the Jews and they were happy to have it that way. But the Lord said, and when it comes to personal evangelism, not only the place that you go, but the people that you speak to, you've got to overcome those prejudices. Whether we're talking skin color, whether we're talking cultural differences, whatever it is, God said, you can't let that get in your way of dealing with people about their need for Christ. Just prejudices that we have. But he also overcame some moral prejudices. And we're going to read about this in a moment, but in verses 16 through 18, the Lord reveals that he knows about her immorality her fornication, her adulteries, her multiple relationships with men, five husbands living with one who's not her husband now. 
And that's not the kind of morality that the Lord maybe would want to be around, or at least we would think that way. And maybe it's not the kind of morality that we would want to deal with. You know, sometimes those people can be some vile people. They just sometimes are. And if we're not careful again, we'll let the prejudice of their morality steer us away from talking to them about their need for Christ. So whether it's a place or whether it's people or whether it's problems, there are prejudices that we have, and the Lord said, you're going to overcome every one of these. Now, now two of those, the, the people and the problem, he overcame that in the absence of his disciples, but when they came back, they also had to deal with it. But our instruction is this, we follow in the steps of the Savior. And that means wherever he leads, to whomever he leads, with whatever problem he leads us to, Face it and get past it and tell them of their need for Christ. And maybe tonight there are people sitting here because someone overcame these prejudices in your life. Right? Uh, I know it's easy to think that we're the desirable ones, but somebody had to look at you and I and go, well, we'll talk to them anyway. That's the first thing I want you to notice tonight is the overcoming of prejudices. But then he overcame personal needs. In verse number 6, Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied. He's wearied. Well, we all know what weariness is about as we sit here on a midweek service with the world kicking us from pillar to post, just trying to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. You've came, and I'm thankful for that. You've came. You want to have your family in church. You want to... Uh, you want to hear from God, you want to be able to sing and fellowship with, with believers, but the truth is, as we sit here tonight, you're afraid to close your eyes, you might go to sleep, and you're weary, and it's not just on a Wednesday night, it seems every day you're weary, and of course the scriptures say, be not weary with well-doing, but you know, when I look at the life of the Savior, and we look at Hebrews chapter number 12, we're to run with patience the race that is set before us, the same as He did. And he had to endure all that he endured. And he, the Bible tells us there that he resisted unto blood because of the sins of men. And here in his absolute humanity, he is weary and he sits down to take a break. And he didn't let weariness keep him from talking to this woman. And I think about the number of times that I've made excuse and people... Uh, around me have made excuse, Pastor, I won't be at door knocking, I won't be at letterboxing, I won't be at evangelism because I'm tired. And, and honestly, I don't come down on people. I'm not hard because I'm not living their life. But I often think, you know, it'd be great if we could overcome the weariness to just get out there and tell someone about Christ. And then we read on. He's not only weary, but in verse number 7, he's thirsty because he sat down and he asked the woman to give him something to drink. And then we find out later that in verse number 8, he's hungry because the disciples have gone in to get him something to eat when they come back in verses 30, 31, 32, 33. They're asking him, who gave him something to eat? And he said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. He was hungry. So get the picture here. Not only did he overcome prejudices, but he overcame his personal needs. These aren't personal wants. These aren't sin problems. These aren't issues with carnality and fleshliness. 
weariness, hunger, and thirst, all of them are legitimate enough for anybody in this room to say, hey, he would have been justified in just, you know, taking a break and getting something to eat, something to drink, and having a rest before he got back into the battle again. But that is not the way the Lord did it. He said, I am going to overcome my personal needs and I am not going to allow those things to stop me from talking to this person. I mean, it's not even a Billy Graham crusader. He doesn't have thousands and thousands of people. He's got an audience of one, but he's got his eyes on the future. He sees the harvest. You see? And then he had to overcome the obstacles of a sinner. Because it wasn't like she was ripe fruit just dangling from the tree waiting for someone to come and pluck it off. You know, it's not like she didn't just say, tell me how to be saved. That's not what she did. Watch this. And this, by the way, I think that this is the most annoying part right here. This is what most stops most of us. Look at verse number 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. He had to overcome this woman's obstacles. You know what her first obstacle was? She's ignorant, basically saying, Who do you think you are? And, and she's, she's suspicious in her questioning. Who do you think you are and why are you talking to me? Maybe she feels that her reputation has announced itself. Maybe it's her attire. The book of Proverbs talks about this type of woman and how her attire uh, talks and how her eyes talk, how her fingers talk, how her feet talk and communicate. And maybe she thinks that through the communication of her body language, of uh, of the fact that she's out there at that time of day when no other women are around because she had to be, she's not the desirable woman. Maybe she thinks that this guy is just coming on to her. And so she's suspicious about him. And he has to endure this in in the face of the fact that he's just there to help her. And you know what you're going to do when you finally overcome your personal needs and you overcome your prejudices and and you get out there and you start being a consistent a witness for Jesus Christ. And I don't just mean, uh, you know, from time to time as the week goes by, but I mean intentionally getting out and, and finding and meeting people who need Christ. You know what you're going to find? That most of the time, they're going to have some sort of a, an ignorant statement to make about you or to you, and they're going to be suspicious in the things that they say and ask of you. What is it that you want from me? What is it that you think that you can do for me? Why is it that you're speaking to me? Missionary, why are you here in Australia? We didn't ask you to come. We didn't invite you. We don't want you here. Why are you here? What do you want? Are you a pedophile? And these are things that have been said. And and, and I'm not complaining. It's the way it goes. In fact, uh, I just met a a missionary last week that uh, at some point in his ministry um, in uh, in an African nation, a a Muslim... um, military man, military police had just beat him up, beat him up bad. And he didn't go home. He didn't go home. He just, that's the way it goes. You know, you're going to have to overcome the suspicions and questioning and the ignorance of people. And so he replies in verse number 10. And I want you to notice something. He doesn't argue with her. In other words, get this, 
Who do you think you are speaking to me? You shouldn't even be dealing with me. We don't deal with one another. Well, fine. Stupid woman. That's how we'd say in Australia, stupid woman. <laughs> Verse number 10, that's not what he does. Jesus answered and said unto her, can you, it's sometimes it's hard to know the tone in the scriptures. It's hard to know. But just knowing the Savior, can you hear the gentleness in his response as he says, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. He doesn't take offense. He doesn't get defensive and, and start firing back. He just gets straight to the matter and says, oh, you know, I'm, I could give you life. You might knock on a door sometime and they'll come at you with something and instead of getting offended by that, you know what our response needs to be is, oh, look, you know, I, I really am just here because I want to help you. I want to do something for you. When we go into Parliament, in the past when we've been in Parliament and we get to go in and meet with them, it's, it's the same routine every time. I just can almost tick it off in my mind. Hi, how are you? Thanks for coming. Come in, sit down. I've got a few minutes. What can I do for you? That's how they say it. And I say the same thing every time. Well, that's the good news is we didn't come here to get anything from you. We came, came to give something to you. We're here for you. And the number of times I've heard them go, what'd you say? Well, we're, we're here to give something to you. We want to give you the gospel. And we want to pray for you. And we want to know if you have a need, we're happy to meet it. You know, it just puts people off. Now, I'm going to have to hustle up here. He had to overcome suspicion and ignorance. But then in verse number 11 and 12, he has to overcome her sarcasm and her condescending language. Look at verse 11. The woman saith to him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water so she just kind of like, okay, living water, here we go. You know, water that gives life, here we go. Very good. Verse number 12, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Again, you know, it's a, who do you think you are? Are you greater than Jacob? I mean, really, do you think you're greater than Jacob, the patriarch? Condescending, sarcastic. And again, he doesn't come into the argument. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He picked up where he left off. She comes at him with the first one. He just says, I'm here to give you living water. She comes at him with the second one, and he just picks up and says, oh, look, that water, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about eternal life. And he's just not going to become a part of the argument. Well, she's not done. And we look here at verse number four, um, 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Selfish. Now it's just selfishness. All right, radio. <laughs> That's again Australian radio. Give me the living water because I am sick and tired of coming out to this well. And look, if you can make my life better, 
Let's have it. You know, there's a lot of people who will pray a prayer with you if you'll lead them, but they don't have an ounce of conviction in their heart. Because sometimes it's because we've presented Christ the wrong way, that he's just an agent to get them out of hell. He's just there for them. And so they take him because he'll do something for them, and it's all selfish. And sometimes that we've presented it right, but they're just selfish by nature, and they only want to be saved because it'll do me some good, and hey, if my life can be better, it's a drag right now, so maybe Jesus can bail me out of this. So yeah, sign me up. Doesn't that aggravate you? I'll try Jesus and give him a go and see what happens. And that's aggravating to me. But you know, the Lord doesn't get upset over these things. He just keeps on working with her, and Jesus saith unto her, now he's going to go from her need for eternal life and begin dealing with her sin. Do you see how personal evangelism works? I'm not arguing with you, but I will show you truth. Jesus saith unto her, verse 16, go call thy husband and come hither. And this must have really slapped her. And verse number 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Oh, it's like every time he turns around, she's got some other dumb thing to say. Because he knows, but she doesn't think he knows. So now it's half-truths and veiled lies. <laughs> I have no husband. And Jesus says, sending her, yeah, that was well said. I have no husband. Yeah, you got that right, lady. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In this saidst thou truly. Well, we're all sinners. None of, none of us is perfect. Yeah, you got that right. Except those of us who know Christ. We've been made perfect. But you got that right. But we're not talking about everybody else. We're talking about you. We're talking about you. And God's not going to stand you next to everybody else to see how you measure up on the day of judgment. He's going to look at you in the eye and know right what's going on in there. What about you? That's who we're dealing with now. Very pointed, but very loving. She's untruthful. She covers her sin. Now verse number 19, she's still not done. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I, believe, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now she goes religious on him. Oh, I can talk religion with the best of them. I know religion. Verse 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So, oh, well, you know, it's just your religion versus my religion. One's as good as the other. We all worship the same God. We're all going to the same place. And by the way, I've been baptized into this church or that church or the other. And, you know, so if that's what this is about, is about religion, you can go on your way, Jesus, because I already know. Yeah, we, we have so many different religious people we bump into. I'm sure you do too, but so many religious people. I was baptized into this church. I've been this. I've been that. I was an altar boy here. I was this, that, the other. I go to Mass every week. We got Orthodox, Catholic. We got them all. And it's always this religion, 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 religion. They want to talk religion. And oh, yes, we know Jesus. We know Jesus. And sometimes you have to say, I don't think we know the same Jesus. I think we have a different definition of who that is. And so Jesus deals with her. 
Verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain. Excuse me, let me start on that verse. I lost my place. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You know, you know what basically he's saying here? Is he goes, I'm not trying to make you to become a Baptist. People argue all the time. Well, I'm Catholic. I'm Orthodox. I'm this. We told you what church we're from so you would know, but we're not trying to make you a Baptist because you'll be Baptist and go to hell too. Verse 22, you worship, you know not what. I know you said you worship Jesus, but you don't actually know who or what you're worshiping because it's all formality and religion to you. Ye, we know what we worship. Could we not say that tonight as Bible-believing Christians? We know who and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And hopefully tonight we can open a Bible and say, you know, this is why we practice what we do. This is why we believe what we do. This is why we say what we say. Because this is what the Bible says. It has nothing to do with what religion I was born into, what I was raised, what identity comes along with it. I just know God. Verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship him. I'm not trying to convert you to my church. I just want you to know God with me. Verse 24, God is the spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He pierces to the heart of this woman. Verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh which is called Christ, when he has come, he will tell us all things. She's finally dropped all of the arguments, the barriers, all of the obstacles, and she says, here's what I do know. And she states the first thing with an honest heart, and he answers, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. That's a long way to go to get somebody to a place where they'll just believe the truth of the Son of God. And many of us, and I'm not going to accuse you because I don't know you individually, but many of us tonight, we don't get there because we got prejudices, we got personal needs, and frankly, we just get fed up with the obstacles of dealing with a sinner. But Jesus didn't. And he just kept going and going and going. You know, Jesus will let a sinner go. The rich young ruler came and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he dealt with him, and the young man went away sorrowing. And Jesus did not chase after him and tackle him and say, no way, you don't know who I am. You have to get saved. I'm not going to let you go. He let him go away. So there is a time where Jesus will say, okay, that's, that's up to you. It's your personal decision. Jesus wasn't a Calvinist. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> But here he presses and presses and presses till she gets to the place and says, I believe. Well, we know the remainder of the story. She ran into town and she told everybody, come, see a man. Isn't that exactly what you would expect to see from somebody truly converted to Christ? She leaves her water pot. That is, the truly converted will leave what mattered to them before. It doesn't matter anymore. She went out there to draw water. She doesn't even take it back with her. She just leaves it there. There's something more important I need to tell everybody who I met. 
And doesn't that, isn't that what Romans 10 says? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She's fully convinced and converted to Jesus Christ, becomes an instant evangelist. And out comes the city, and he spends two days with them. And they say to the woman, we believed you what you said, but now we've heard him for ourselves. And now we believe because of what he said. That's us. We got saved. And now we just want to tell somebody. And it means going through this whole process sometimes. But we want others to come and they believe what we say, but then they meet Jesus themselves. And they become convinced because they've met Christ. And that's the blessing of it. You know what comes out of that? Joy and rejoicing for the one that planted, the one that watered, and the one that got to bring in the harvest. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 4. Nobody becomes the hero in the story except God. The one who brought salvation. That's the hero in the story. It's not about how many did you lead to Christ? How many did you lead to Christ? How many, how many gospel tracts did you hand out? And I just purposely do not do that. I don't count. I don't keep track on purpose. Because it's not about me and notches. It's about Christ and Him saving souls. Amen. Folks, that's what we're here for. That's what this place is for. It's for training people to go out and win people to Jesus Christ. So they'll come and they'll get trained up and they'll go win people to Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. And it's what we're here for. And I'm over time, so we're done. Father, thank you for the time tonight to meet together, to look at your word again. And I pray it's been a help and a blessing to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.